Thanks for tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Good morning, Cypress Church, or Neighborhood Church, excuse me, excuse me. I'm, uh, my name is Tony Rodriguez. I, at one time, uh, used to run the student ministry program here, and uh, I am a missionary from this church, and we do uh, mission work in India. So uh, I have the great honor of sharing with you this morning, and my heart's desire is to encourage you. So if you're like, what's he about today? Encouragement. And I'm going to put a little wind in your sail. I'm going to tell you some great stories about what the Lord is doing out on the mission field. And uh, my heart's desire is that you walk away out of this room feeling like, let's go, God. This is going to be fun. All right? Are you with me? All righty. So uh, this morning, I'm going to be talking about uh, really an awakening. And what is an awakening? A spiritual awakening. The United States had uh, a wonderful experience with two great awakenings. And that's when a people group is moving from spiritual darkness or death into spiritual life or light. All right, it's an awakening. They wake up. And uh, in India, what's happening, you guys, it's, it's phenomenal. But God is turning the light on. And I'm going to be telling you about what that looks like and so that you can identify with that and then encourage other people along the way because the saints need encouragement. Is that right? All right. I do like interaction, so you can say amen at any time. You can applaud at any time. I'm okay with that. Uh, thank you. Hey, thank you very much. I'll give you a, your, your tip later on. Thank you so much. So we're going to be uh, uh, bouncing around on scriptures today, but I want to start with Ephesians chapter 6, and it talks about Tychicus, and this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing. He says, Tychicus, our dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Did you catch that? That he may encourage you. So his job was to go out and tell everybody else, this is what's going on with the Apostle Paul, and I want to encourage you because these are the things that the Lord is doing. Isn't that amazing that this guy got that job? He got to hang out with the Apostle Paul, and he got to see all these wonderful works and, and, and encourage the saints. What a blessing that is. I have um, often been going back and forth uh, to India, and, and people ask me, well, what's India like? What's India like? What's ministering in India like? And I tell people often over and over again, it's like ministering in the book of Acts. No kidding. Uh, you, you, you see the Acts of the Apostles, and what they did and how the gospel went out often for the first time and people responded in a favorable way and God validated his message in, in a certain way so that the people got it. It's like, wow, this is really unique. This is amazing. This is different. There is nothing else like this on planet Earth. And they got it. They got it. So in India, uh, the people, just to let you know kind of the stuff that happens, people are getting healed. The blind are seeing. The mute speak. The deaf hear, the lame walk, the oppressed are set free. The word of God is being declared to people groups often for the first time. Uh, I have served God for over 41 years, ladies and gentlemen, in various locations. Uh, and I must admit that India is the most exciting place that I have ever served. Uh, hands down. 
49 times, sent over 100 teams, and every trip is unique and every trip is special, but they all share an experience. And that is having a sense of awe in the God in whom we serve. And that's, to me, the best. So the stories that I'm going to share, I want you to put it in the, in the framework that this is what the Lord does. It's not a, a particular person that has a particular gift. It is the Lord Jesus revealing himself in unique and powerful ways. God is about redeeming people. Matthew 28 tells us this as uh, it's the great charge. And, and it says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when he saw them, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I started going to India because I heard that it was a rich target environment for evangelism. Uh, India has a population of probably about 3% Christianity. Um, in, in the remote villages, sometimes you find what they call uh, secret Christians uh, because of the persecution that uh, will come upon them if they announce their faith. And very, very true. But in a country of 1.4 billion people, 3% is nothing. So I look at that and I think to myself, this is a target-rich environment, right? If uh, you like to go fishing, if you're like me, I like to go fishing. But I'll tell you where I like to go fishing at. I like to go fishing where the fish are, right? You guys can have the rest of the ocean, but I want to be where the fish are, all right? I love that. I, lo I love the whole adventure of fishing. And when it comes to evangelism, I'm the same way. You know, I, I, uh, I'm selfish that way. Uh, but I think that's okay, yeah? Well, kind of quiet out there right now. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I thought it was. Um, but uh, we, we interact with communities. We go, and, and many of these people, they, uh, they've been worshiping Hindu idols for thousands of years. So I ran across this priest, uh, this Hindu priest, and um, there's a, a photo of him right there. Uh, and uh, he said, what are you doing? And I said, we're sharing the gospel. And we're sharing our testimony, how God has affected our life and changed our life. And uh, he goes, oh, we have our own gods here. I go, I, I understand that. Uh, what does your God do for you? And he goes, our, our gods keep us from, uh, protect us from sickness and disease. I said, is that right? And he says, that's right. And I said, uh, is anybody sick or ill in your village? And he started laughing. And then he goes, we're all sick. Everybody's sick in my village. I said, well, sir, sounds like your God's lying to you. Something that my God won't do because Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He will not lie. It goes against his very nature. If he is righteous, if he is just, if he is holy, he will not lie. It's not going to happen. Uh, he is faithful and he is true. He is kind, compassionate, and loving. Uh, Sir, would you like to know more? And he said, yes, I would. So I ended up explaining the gospel to him. And everybody that was there listening received Christ that day. And you're like, whoa, here we go, all right? Here we go. Sometimes we go to a village, and, and this has happened to Pastor Mike. We walk into a village, or we'll go in there with our vans, and we're like, we'll get out of the car, and people will say, stop. Don't come any further. I'm like, oh, boy, what's going to happen here? Says, you were in our dreams last night. You're bringing the message of light. The darkness doesn't want you in our village. 
stay here and let's gather everybody so they can come and hear the message. What an announcement, right? What an announcement that God goes before you and he prepares their minds and prepares their hearts with dreams. And then you show up and they're like, yep, here's the validation. We've got to go tell everybody now. Awesome. That's really cool. That's really cool that God goes before you and he prepares these people's hearts and the gospels goes out and people are saved. The apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he goes, but I thank God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Isn't that great? that he does this. There was a, a gentleman that, um, that uh, we were sharing in a village and this one gentleman had a machete. And, you know, he, you know, he's sitting there listening to the message and he's holding a machete. That's not a common thing for me. I don't know, you know. So uh, I'm, I'm watching it and we're starting sharing the gospel and then he starts waving his machete and uh, he starts getting pretty animated. Uh, so I... Um, I thought, boy, this is going to hurt, right? And uh, and I asked my interpreter. I said, why is he uh, why is he raising his voice and waving the machete? And uh, he said, well, he wants you to stop. I go, I, I get that. Uh, what else? He says he wants you to stop because this is the message they've been waiting to hear, and he wants to gather everybody to come here. I thought, oh, okay, I'll wait. <laughs> right? That, that's that's a great outcome. I love that. I love that. Fantastic. There was another story where, um, and I hope that you're encouraged by these things, but we, we went into a, a, usually we were ministering to Hindu communities. Occasionally we, we ministered to Muslim communities. And uh, there was a particular Muslim community we went into, and I was having lunch with uh, some members and uh, in the car because it was hot, you know, like 100 and whatever degrees and flies are everywhere and dust is everywhere and, the van was quiet, it was cool, and it was safe. And the next thing I hear is a knock on our window. And a gentleman is saying, what are you doing here? I said, we're just having our lunch. He goes, no, you come into my house and have lunch. I said, oh, okay. And so we go to the house, and then I see that there's an elderly gentleman. He asked us what we were doing, so we told him we're sharing the gospel, sharing our testimony of God's faithfulness in our lives, the things that he's done with people. And uh, I realized I'm in a household of Muslims, Right? Uh, so there was 19 Muslim men there. This is soon, not not a few after a few years after 9/11, right? So um, I'm thinking, wow, you know, like you and me at that time, was uh, um, all I heard about Muslims was they want to death to America, kill all the Christians, and you see tortures, right? So I'm thinking, I don't know if this is a good idea, but I got a high school student with me, and here we are. Lord, please help us. 19 Muslim men listen to our testimonies, listen to the gospel presentation. And when you give the gospel presentation, you got to give an invitation. Is that right? You just don't share it to share it. You share it. Do you want to follow Jesus? Every night, every one of those 19 men said yes to following Jesus. Guys, that's big news, man. That's big news. I didn't think that was going to happen, but it happened. And I was excited about that. Uh, There is a lady here uh, in the photo. You see her with her husband and her husband was, uh, um, telling her 30 years, she's known Christ for 30 years, she would walk three miles on Sunday morning to go to church, all right? She would tell her husband, come with me, come with me, come with me. It's like, no, 
If God wants me to hear this message, he's going to bring the message to my village. And uh, 30 years, she's been praying for this guy to go to church and to hear the gospel message. 30 years, he denied it. Well, we showed up. And, uh, and I shared the gospel and uh, shared our testimonies. And this guy responded to the gospel message. And he gave his life to Christ. And I see the lady over there, and she's just bawling, bawling. And, uh, and then she tells me the story uh, of how she's waited 30 years and, uh, and that God's faithful. And he responded to the message the first time he heard it. I thought, unbelievable, unbelievable. You see how personal God is? That he met that person right where he was at, right where they needed. I was blown away by that story. I love that story um, because it shows, once again, how personal God is. I've been asked the question, what's God up to in India? Uh, he's up to revealing himself to those who don't know him. He is rich in mercy. He's full of grace, able to redeem people from the darkest places that men or demon have created. He's the savior of the world. There's no one like him, past, present, or future. There never will be. He is the only begotten son of God who sacrifices life so that others may be saved. He is the Lord and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And since 2001, we have seen over 600,000 people embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's no secret to what we do. In the book of Revelations, it, it, it tells us how the saints overcame the evil one. They overcame the evil one by their testimonies and by the blood of the Lamb. It's not a secret. It's a very powerful weapon that God has equipped you with. Do you feel, do you feel equipped? You feel ready to go? I mean, are you ready to go? Come on. Come on. I'm going Thursday. Who's going with me? All right. Come on. Come on. Uh, many pastors that I've met, um, uh, have a, a, incredible stories, but I want to let you know that God is expanding his kingdom, right? He's expanding his kingdom. Second uh, Timothy tells us this. He goes, and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witness, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So it's important that we train pastors. It's important that we build them up. It's important that we encourage them because they're the ones going out into new lands and establishing the church where the church isn't established yet. And this has to happen. So uh, since 2001, we've uh, helped train over 500 pastors in various uh, biblical disciplines and biblical uh, hermeneutics and the doctrine of Christ, of God, of the Holy Spirit, disciple-making, evangelism, and church planning. Pastors are hungry for biblical training. Uh, some travel all night on a train or on a bus from far distances just to gain a little insight into the scriptures or to gain a little wisdom on how to shepherd the flock that God has given them. Many pastors that I've met uh, shepherd over two to three churches, and those pastors travel on bicycles or little motorcycles, like 150 cc. Is that me? Uh, motorcycles, really tiny little things, kind of like your lawnmower with wheels, all right? Um, but God is building up his church. And so when I say that, uh, you know, that we have planted over uh, 600 churches, or we've trained over 500 uh, uh, pastors. When we talk about those, those churches, uh, I'm, I'm talking about uh, not a church building structure like we think in the United States. 
The church means that they're called out, the called out ones, all right? Called out from the world to serve God. That's the church, all right? The bride of Christ. So uh, for description, it would be like, oh, I'm going to the church that meets by the rock. I'm going to the church that meets by the well. I'm going to the church that meets in the streets, like this one here that you see uh, over there. It's very simple. There's, we're, we're not investing in brick and mortar. We're investing in people who are furthering the kingdom of God. And we're seeing incredible results. Uh, many pastors that I've met, like I told you, they get around and, and you're like, uh, how many churches are you going to? And they get on a bicycle and they're like, I got three churches I got to visit today. I have no time for chit-chat. I got to go. Uh, and I appreciate working with these guys. Uh, they're going out and they're making disciples. The scriptures tell us in your going or as you go through life, make disciples of Christ, make followers of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. That's supposed to be the fruit of our lives is, is making other followers of Jesus. As we share uh, the gospel, as we share our testimonies, as we unfold the scriptures, as we share our life, we're to make disciples for Jesus, all right? So God is uh, revealing himself. Uh, there is uh, some amazing stories that I wanted to share with you. I came across this man, uh, and he was blind. He's, uh, yep, he was blind. And he's been blind for 10 years. And uh, so as our practice, we share our testimony, we share the gospel message. And um, we ask people, uh, you know, to respond. And then we pray for anybody. We pray for the sick. We, we target the sick. If they're too sick to come to the church, we go out and we find them in their, their houses or huts, wherever they're at, and we pray for them there. That's, that's just what we do. This man comes up to us, and he has been ex, uh, escorted by a little 10-year-old boy. And he says, this man wants prayer. He goes, what do you want prayer for? He says, he's blind. He wants to see. All right. So I asked him, I said, how long have you been blind? He said, 10 years. I said, uh, um, what did the doctor say? He said, the doctor said I was blind. Understood. <laughs> I understood. Um, so I said, what happened 10 years ago uh, that, that caused your blindness to happen in, in, in your life? And uh, there's no traumatic event. He goes, we, we planted a church here, and I gave my life to following Jesus, and soon after that, I became blind. I thought, hmm, maybe it's a spiritual thing. Let's, let's pray that if it's a spiritual thing, that God would reveal it, and that you'd be free. Because everything else doesn't work. It hasn't worked. So we pray that way. And um, I asked him, I go, do you sense anything different? And he goes, yes, I do. I said, great, let me get some other people to pray for you. And he bends down and he grabs like this bag and he does a 180 turn and starts walking out of a door. So I look at my interpreter and I said, you told me he was blind and then he walks out that door. Why did you lie to me? I go, sir, I didn't lie to you. Go, go get that guy. So we get that guy and he comes back and I said, uh, well, where were you going? And he goes, I was going to go tell my wife that I could see again, but you stopped me. <laughs> God's good. And, uh, and um, all that to say, it's, it's what he does. This is what God is doing. It's very unique and it's very powerful. I love that story because it's so personal. And he wanted to go and share right away with uh, his wife. Look, look at what the Lord has done. I love that story. This gentleman over here, uh, he couldn't speak. Uh, and it was like for two years, and it's like he lost his voice and never, never regained it. And, uh, and I said, okay, so well, I was getting ready to leave. We got done ministering in a village. 
We're all hopping in a van, and this lady's waving us down, not letting us leave. She said, you have to pray for my dad before you go. I said, sure, I'll pray for your dad. What's going on? She tells me uh, how he couldn't speak. And I said, okay, let's pray. Let's pray that God would restore his voice. So we pray that way, and I ask him, do you feel anything different? He goes, yes. You know, he tells us, the, you know, points to his throat. He says, so indicating that something's different and going on. And I, and I said, uh, asked the daughter, I said, ask him to say thank you, Jesus. And with a whisper, thank you, Jesus. I said, keep practicing that phrase. He kept on practicing. He kept on getting louder and then louder and then louder. I thought, oh, man, this is great. Everybody's waiting for me. I got to go. God bless you. Hope to see you again one day, right? So we hop in the van and take off. A year later, I come back to that village. And I remember, I thought, oh, there's that well. And then there's those houses. And then that's that street. And what happened to that guy that didn't have his voice? And everybody was working in the village. So I said, find somebody that knows that guy. So they're out rocking, knocking on doors, right? And they said, oh, that guy. Uh, we found someone that knows him. And I said, what happened to that gentleman that got his voice restored uh, after two years? He goes, oh, that guy? This is how he said it. That guy? He never shuts up. Uh, oh, yeah. It just made me feel good, right? It's like, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. Um, uh, a very unique story. I met three women that they were in this village, and in this village, they worshiped a fertility god. I've seen other people making sacrifices. When they make sacrifices, there's usually like fruit that they lay down uh, to the idol, um, this fertility god in this, in this scenario. And these women said, we're not going to bow down. We're followers of Jesus. We're not going to worship and do what the fertility gods require. You know, we follow the Lord, but uh, we haven't had children. And now the women mock us here in the village saying that we're bad wives because we haven't given children to our husband. And, uh, and then we're not in control of this. I said, I understand. Um, well, then let's pray. So we renounced uh, the, uh, um, uh, the worship of uh, this fertility God and that uh, these are children of God. And we're praying this way asking God that it would bless them and that God would give them children, all right? And, uh, and we get them praying, and I had a very clear thought. And the thought was, you're all going to have babies. And I thought, how do I say that? Because that's pretty bold. Would you agree? All right, so we're on the same page. So I say, uh, congratulations, you're going to have babies. I got to go. And I come back a year later, and there they are with babies in their hands, all little baby boys. And, uh, and baby boys tend to be more valued in that because uh, for various reasons, the work that they can do and things like this, but um, later on as they grow up. But what an amazing, what an amazing event. Um, that it's only happened to me that one time. I don't go around telling everybody they're going to have babies. That was, that was a particular thing that the Lord Jesus did right there at that moment for those three ladies that wouldn't bow to a fertility God, and God blessed them, and everybody knew it in the community, and they had to take note, look at the things that the Lord has done. Love that story. I love it because it's so personal, and, and God reveals himself this way. Well, sometimes I'm sharing testimonies, uh, right, and, and, and trying to encourage people about this is what the Lord has done. This one guy comes up to me, and he says, sir, I have a testimony too. I said, is that right? He says, that's right. I go, what's your testimony? And he, uh, he goes, I was raised from the dead. Ah, uh, all right. Uh, now, if you're an American, uh, our poison is we tend to be cynical, right? Like, yeah, really? Was it, are you really dead or are you only mostly dead? Because mostly dead is slightly alive. Everybody knows that, right? 
So uh, I said, um, well, tell me the conditions of you, of you being dead and how you came back to life. He goes, I had leukemia since the age of 15, and my leukemia progressively got worse. And then I died in the hospital. My father took me to the hospital. I died in the hospital. They were monitoring my life for 10 years, doing all the blood work, and seeing that I was getting worse and worse and worse, telling me that the, the end was inevitable. I'm going to die. I go, okay, well, uh, how did you get your life back? What happened there? And he goes, well, an angel came and spoke to me. I said, an angel, huh? What did he look like? I mean, like, was he Mexican or what? You know, what did he look like? I don't know. And, uh, and he goes, sir, his skin was like light. I thought, oh, you got my attention. Skin was like light. That's interesting. What did he say? And he said, arise for the glory of the Lord is upon you. I go, then what did he say? He goes, he left. I go, then what happened? He goes, well, I, I got up and they were wheeling me down to the morgue. I go, so what happened when they were wheeling you down the morgue and you got up? He goes, everybody started screaming. <laughs> I, that's a good response. That's a good response. So uh, 20 minutes, they recorded his death. They waited for the morgue to come get him. That's a good time to be dead. His story seemed to fit. And he said, would you come to my house and have lunch with me and my father? I'll tell you more. So I'm looking at him and he has a wedding ring on. I said, did this happen when you were 25? Did you get married right away? Because people that, uh, a man who's living in a village and he's 25 years old, you're an old man, right? You're an old man. Uh, did anybody marry you right away? Congratulations, I see the wedding ring. And he goes, no, nobody wanted to marry me. I go, why is that? And he goes, because I was dead. <laughs> All right, All right. that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I can see how that is a, an inhibitor to moving forward in marriage. So, uh, he, he tells me the story of how uh, this family came and, uh, and approached his father. And uh, they said, we would be honored for our daughter to marry your son. And there it is. And he showed me the wedding pictures and the wedding invitation and their little house as they were serving us lunch. I thought, isn't this amazing? And I, I thought to myself, who am I that God allows me to see and experience such things? And I meet such people that, are so moving, and they have such powerful stories uh, that, that just alter your heart and your mind and encourage you. But God is good, and God blesses his people, and he does it again and again and again. And I left feeling amazed by God that day. Aren't you amazed? Amen. So God is about extending compassion. Uh, serving Christ, I've seen so many come to know the Lord, and so many churches planted, so many pastors trained, so many people healed. Um, but one day I was, uh, I was going to a speaking engagement, and it was raining sideways. It was just really bad. And, uh, and it was the middle of the night, maybe uh, 2 in the morning, and I saw 800 children in a train depot. And they had one security guard there. And I asked my interpreter, I said, where's their parents? What are all these children doing here? Is it some special trip? He goes, no, no, they're abandoned. I thought, no, no, that's not right. You can't abandon children. I said, sir, it's very common. So I went and spoke at this place, and I came back that night, and I'm taking a bus to get to another place. And we stop at a bus station, and I see a little mat laid out and a little three-year-old girl sitting on it. She had a red dress. 
uh, with like the like gold color uh, trim on it. Her hair's all done right. Uh, her legs were no thicker than my wrists, real tiny. And uh, she was there alone on a straw mat. And I asked my interpreter, "Where's her parents?" Uh, Sir, uh, they they the, what's common is that they lay down their children, and as they go to sleep, the parents get up, they leave. My mom gets up and leaves. Dad gets up and leaves. And they just leave them to the whims of society. I never got over that. And I can't unsee that. And I know what happens to those kids. Uh, it, the risk of being uh, just abused in the sex trade, really high. Uh, darker yet, uh, having their organs harvested for somebody else and a quick payday for the person that finds the kids. If they survive, and that doesn't happen to them, uh, then they learn how to lie, to cheat, to steal, just to eat, just to make it. And I was disturbed by that. And I thought, how can we, fellow believers, proclaim the love of God and ignore this? I haven't come up with an answer. You can't do it. Because God wants to express his compassion. And to do nothing doesn't express the love of God. It just doesn't. So that has disturbed me for many years. <clears throat> I asked some other pastors, I said, uh, is this common? They said, sir, it's very common. Uh, so at that time, I, I saw, I knew of three kids that, that needed a place to stay. Uh, their mom abandoned them, and they were eating garbage. And uh, they asked, do you want to go to school? They want to go to school. They want to have hope. They want to. said, all right. So we arranged that this one pastor would oversee these kids. His name was Simon Peter. Simon Peter said, I'll take care of them. And we started with three kids. Those three kids became six, became nine, became 15, became 40, 45. And the ministry started growing. <clears throat> 2013, uh, the national pastors took charge of that ministry. And I started partnering with another group uh, in the northern part of Andhra Pradesh, uh, Raja and Nelima, whom you're going to meet very soon. <clears throat> but the statistics out there on street children in India, this is from UNICEF, right? In March of 2022, this is where these statistics come from. It said 18 million children, 18 million children live on the streets in India. Economic crisis, extreme poverty, abandonment, dysfunctional families are common. Push for creating more street children. 60% of them are uh, that are children that are identified in that survey were boys. Um, 12 million of those were between the ages of 6 and 14. <clears throat> 6 million of them were under the age of 6. Hmm. So Jesus tells Peter, he says this, upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. <clears throat> Our enemy is wily, he's cruel, uh, but I can say with confidence that he's losing ground. And now if I find myself in the northern part of Andhra Pradesh with Raja and Nilima from New Life, 
uh, in Yellowman, Chile. Our ministry together began in 2013, and the Lord has given us a kinder spirit. We'll succeed together. Our ministry takes considerable amount of effort and commitment um, to make an impact, not only on the people in front of us, but in the generations that will come after us. Reaching out to the, the lost and neglected people, helping the poor, leprosy communities, AIDS communities, and providing real hope for needy children. I started my relationship with them at the encouragement of Nalima's father. His name was Christopher Prendas. And I asked Nalima yesterday, I said, I know your name has a certain meaning, Prendas. What does that mean? And uh, da, uh, Pren means love and Das of love. So Christopher of love. And I'm telling you what, uh, he was one of the most loving men I've ever met. I met him and he had a ministry of 600 orphan children. And he was ministering to a leprosy community. And I walked around with him and, he, and uh, saw his 600 children. And they went after him like a loving father. And he cared for every one of them like a loving father you would expect to do. And it was amazing. It was a very touching moment. I thought, wow, this man is special. This man has been gifted by the Lord. This man is doing what God wants him to do. And God has filled him with an incredible amount of joy uh, that is really unmatched. I appreciated that. And I asked if I could partner with him. He goes, I want you to partner with my daughter and my son-in-law, Raj and Nilima. And they were starting a ministry at that point. And they had um, uh, a number of kids that was with them. We first started, and we started sponsoring 10 kids, helping with their leprosy community and giving some money for uh, the widows and, and helping them out and the, and the children. 10 became 20. Uh, 20 became 40. Now we're at 110 children. And Raj, uh, before uh, he left to India, sent me 40 more children to find sponsors for. So we're growing. We're growing. Uh, but the Lord uh, um, is not done with us. And the impact is real of what we can do for uh, the community out there and how we can reflect uh, the spirit of Jesus to these kids that have been abused and neglected. Uh, is really uh, quite a wonderful opportunity for us to walk into. And, of course, it takes faith, right? Always takes faith. So I'd like for you uh, now, uh, if I may, to introduce Raja and Nalima. These are some of my personal heroes. So would you welcome them, please? Raja and Nalima, would you come on up? Sit over there, and I'll take this here. Okay. Yeah. Morning, church. Morning. So I have a few questions for Raja and Nalima, and uh, and I'll just let them uh, answer some of that. That very important to us, and they're going to be out there in the lobby with me afterwards. We have orphan children that need support. I'm asking you, please take a step of faith, help us out. We want to make an impact for God. But uh, uh, Raja, a question for you is: is how did you get involved in a children's home? You know, you, you have an interesting story. How did that come about? Well, thank you, Tony, for inviting us and the church uh, for your patience. So, uh, myself, Raja, and my wife, Neelma, as Tony has introduced, um, we are from India, and it's, uh, it's like a privilege and honor to be in front of the neighborhood church. So, to answer to the question, Tony, um, uh, I was been uh, working in Malaysia for uh, an MNC Motorola in the year uh, 
maybe like since 99 to 2004 when we got married and uh, neelma's parents uh, and the family are into uh, the ministry and they they are working like an ngo uh, like what uh, tony has introduced so uh, we were been like uh, uh, called to uh, work for india actually we are in a safe zone working for our lives Uh, but what bible says uh, like the very first uh, uh, scripture like what is the uh, god says the commandments like love your god with your whole heart your mind and soul and and the second commandment is love your neighbors as you love yourself so like like the neighborhood church so taking that into mind like we left our comfort zone uh, where we are working and we thought like we should work for the oppressed and poor in india so it took some time for us to uh, take the decision so we resigned our jobs and and like what in acts it says like uh, uh, leave your comfort zone your samaria your juda and after you serve in your bethlehem go to unto the ends of the world and take the gospel so that stuck into our hearts and like it's like calling for us and we came back to india and started a northnage with like 20 kids in the beginning in the year 2007 and really we felt like it's a god's hand on that and god is being blessing uh, the children who are really in need and care and support so that's how it started tony very good very good <clears throat> and then um uh how many uh Oh, your 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 ministry suffered some real trauma in the last two years. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and then how did God encourage you in your faith uh, in the midst of the trauma? Yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, everyone suffered due to pandemic. Many people uh, lost their loved ones. So as the children uh, are grown, who are abandoned, and the ministries also suffered a lot. Many of the churches are shut down, and we did online. all things happened same same with our ministry so government has uh, sent out and strict orders like you're not supposed to have children in or- orphan homes or like shelter homes because like it's easy to uh, get covid when they are crowded so that forced the kids to send back to the villages uh, maybe some pastors whom we work uh, we try to um, take their support uh, to give a meal to the kids and some families came up and they all went out into the villages at that time like it all like seemed to be a door closing for those kids um, but like after a few weeks like we started to uh, wear the dress code for the covid and all we went into the villages uh, we talked to the kids and 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 we tried to distribute food packets to them and at that moment like uh, our ministry uh, turned into a different direction so instead of supporting for the kids uh we had a big opening for, to to support and care for the uh, adults also in the villages like um, there are some families who do, who didn't get the food and were able to uh, serve for them also so we try to help the um, the village communities also so our ministry has been uh, extended into the communities instead of sticking into the children homes like what it looked like a closed door was a big open door for us so god has opened 
uh, the doors in a different way, even in the pandemic time. Yeah, thank and you. That was a blessing. Yeah, what a blessing that is. Um, Nilima, how many children are waiting for sponsors, and 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 uh, what is the cap- capacity of the? How many kids can you take? Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, we are very happy to be with you all this morning. So we have forty children who are waiting for the sponsorship. So. What is your next question? Okay, well, let's go to the next question. Okay. What is what what is uh what does VBS mean to the kids there, and okay. and and what does it mean to you as as someone who oversees that ministry? Uh, coming to VBS, that's the best time for them to be away from the school. Uh, as you know, India is a strong Hindu country, so if they have a strong foundation with uh, Christianity. So once they go back to their villages, they can stand for the Jesus and they can uh, be a good example in their communities, can impact their families and friends. So my father, Christopher Premdas, always used to say one thing like, looking, uh, let's not look anything with our eyes. We have to look through his eyes, but we have to th- serve through our lives. So... It makes me uh, thinking about that. So VBS is one of the best way for us to reach the souls of the kids so that they can be with God in their future. All right. So I really encourage VBS. Very good. Be, yeah. So are, are you ready for the American teams to start coming back and helping with evangelism and helping with children's ministries? And Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. 100%? 100%. Okay. All right. Do you hear that, church? Are you ready to go? We'll leave Thursday. Who's going to go with me? All right. All right. It's going to get exciting. I want to let you know, just to save a little time, inside your, your church bulletin, you have a little thing where you could sponsor a child. And we're going to be out there in the corner. Please uh, help if you can. And um, that's, that's how we make a difference. Everybody takes a little step of faith. Um, I'm going to pray, and we're going to have the worship team come on up. Now, join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this morning and how encouraging it is to go over the mighty things that you have done and how you are saving people and how the church is growing and expanding and how you're revealing yourself. There is no doubt about it that no man can take credit for the great things that you are doing. And we praise your name for that. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would encourage us in our faith as we step forward and take these little steps that it would please you that it would engage your heart, and that uh, you uh, would, again, uh, empower us uh, to do the ministry uh, that you have set before us. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.